I felt led this morning to take a look at the Advent through the eyes of Mary. We don't often do that as Baptists, as Protestants, as non-Catholics. So it might be a new kind of journey this morning for some of you. You know, Catholic doctrine, there are four corners of Catholic doctrine in Mary Olatry and the doctrine of Mary. And by and large, we do not agree fully with any of them. The perpetual virginity of Mary from the fourth century, Theodicus, that is, that she is the mother of God. And we might use that phrase in a guarded way, but we have to be very, very careful how, what we mean when we say that. We do believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, but for her to be the mother of God himself totally is not biblical. And then there's the Immaculate Conception, which was promulgated finally in the 19th century and based basically on the text Luke 1.28, which we heard this morning. Mary, you are greatly favored. And that is the text from which that church says that Mary is full of grace. That is, she was born without sin, original sin, and subsequently they have endorsed the doctrine of the assumption into heaven of Mary bodily and spiritually by not only her soul but her body because of this. She also lived a sinless life. And for us, that does not jive with what we understand in the New Testament. But I'm not here to talk about Catholic doctrine. I raise those issues because when you hear the song, it does, that doctrine does challenge some of the song that you heard. It raises a question about, for example, Mary, did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Well, Catholics do believe that Mary had to be delivered, but not in the same way that we believe it. And it raises those kinds of questions. It also, this doc, these doctrines raise questions about how much Mary really did know. You know, the song was performed. Some of you think that it's an ancient, ancient song, but it's only 30 years old. It was performed first in 1991 by Michael English, who was at that time part of the Gaither vocal band, written by Mark Lowry in 84, and the music by Buddy Green. The facts in the song, I believe, are essentially biblical. As a matter of fact, they're all biblical, but with a couple of caveats. You see, some of its questions clearly should be answered, no, Mary did not know. Mary did not know, I believe, that one day her son would walk on water. If you had asked her ahead of time, do you think that he could? She probably would have said yes, but she did not know this. She did not know that he would calm the storm with his hand for two reasons. She had no way of knowing that, and he didn't calm it with his hand. How did he calm it? Two words. What were they? Peace, still, and the sea was calmed. She did not know that the deaf would hear. She did not know, I believe, that the dead would live again. She did not know for sure that the lame would leap or that the dumb would speak. But she did know several other things, and that's what I want to look at this morning, what she did know and see the incarnation through her eyes. What she may have known, though, we have to ask the question, did she really understand? Mary understood some things about the coming Christ child before his birth. First of all, she knew that he would be the Son of God, and he would be a king. From the Lucan account, Luke, the first chapter, and the Annunciation, which we have heard this morning, to Mary, 
by the angel Gabriel. She learned that God was going to do the impossible through her, that she would give miraculous birth as a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit. She knew that she would name him Jesus, that is Jehovah, as salvation. She knew that he would become a divine ruler. If you listen closely to the reading by Ahab this morning, you heard that Gabriel told her he would be the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, the eternal King on David's throne, and he, and he would rule the house of Jacob forever. Mary, did you know? Yes, she did know he would one day rule the nation, singular. She knew that. She also knew that Jesus would be the Savior. This comes from Matthew's account when Joseph had his dream at the beginning of Matthew in chapter 1. It was after Mary had conceived and he was concerned about whether or not he ought to put her away. And everything in that message confirmed what Mary had heard. And the dream, divine revelation directly to Joseph, told him to take Mary as his wife because she would conceive by the Holy Spirit, even though she was a virgin and not by a man. It went on to say in this dream, it defined exactly what Jesus' name, the significance of it, even though we know that Yeshua is Josh, God is salvation, Jehovah is salvation. In the dream, he heard clearly that he will save his people from their sins. Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew that he would save our sons and daughters. The significance of this event goes beyond that because it was a fulfillment of a prophecy which we read about earlier in the service from Isaiah, the seventh chapter. And verse 14, you know it well. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name. They shall call his name what? Emmanuel. And of course, we know that means God with us. Mary knew when Joseph told her about the dream, I'm sure he did, that when she kissed her little baby boy, she indeed kissed the face of God, though I'm not sure she understood all that meant. She knew Jesus would be the blessed Lord. In Luke's version, right after the Annunciation then, beginning in verse 39 of chapter 1, Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then when John in her womb at that point, six months on, when John hears the voice of Mary, he leaps. And Mary then says to, uh, and then Elizabeth says to Mary, you are blessed among women. And she was blessed for two reasons from the text we understand, because of the fruit of her womb. The fruit of her womb, Jesus was blessed. But she was also blessed because, as Elizabeth said, you have believed the Lord's message. Just like later Peter, when he professed that Christ, that Jesus was the Christ of God. Jesus said to him, blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. You see, this had been revealed to her, and she was blessed because of that. The significance of this event is that Elizabeth's pronunciation of the word Lord is not just sir, not just a respected man, but she was speaking about the same Lord that had communicated with Mary through the angel Gabriel. And so Elizabeth is equating Jesus when she says the mother of the Lord, she is equating Jesus with the Lord who is associated with Jehovah. Mary knew, did Mary know? She knew that Jesus would be the Lord of all creation. Mary also knew that he would be the son of the mighty one. And that's the central text for this morning's sermon. Of course, we know this is the Magnificat. It comes next in Luke's gospel. 
Mary's praise to God. She gave blessing to God as the mighty one. And she quotes from several Psalms and from Hannah's song of praise for her son in 1 Samuel 2. The text, Luke 1, 46 through 56, the Magnificat. And Mary said, my soul magnifies, my soul exalts the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. There are a few facts that we see from the Magnificat that are important about what Mary knew. She knew that God was the mighty one who demonstrated his power, and in that text he had done it three ways. He had demonstrated his power to Mary because he had elevated her, the humble state of a bond slave, and that she would be forever blessed perpetually blessed, not necessarily perpetually a virgin, but perpetually blessed for all generations. What she was hearing and what she was affirming was that God was using her, an humble bondservant, a young teenage girl, to change history forever. The mightiness of God was seen to all generations. Secondly, God would relieve His people in verses 50 through 53, he exalts the humble and he reduces the proud. He fills the needy and he sends away the rich, the, the rich. This humble child of Mary and his earthly father, Joseph, who would become a carpenter in a backwater town called Nazareth, despised by the Judeans. He would become the Lord of all creation and he would turn things upside down. He would elevate the humble. He himself was humble. He would pour himself out and have victory over sin and death. And also the mightiness of God was demonstrated to Israel. Thirdly, you see, he was sending his help to his, and this is key, servant Israel. He would keep his promises that he had made to Abraham and the fathers. What is uncertain here is whether Mary really understood the full impact of that statement. What was Jesus really going to do? Was he going to restore the political fortunes of Israel? Did she really understand Isaiah's servant prophecies about the promises that were being fulfilled for Abraham? Abraham had been promised that he would be a blessing not just to Israel, but to all peoples, to all nations. And through Isaiah's prophecy, the servant would, in Isaiah 42, bring justice to all nations, not just Israel. In Isaiah 49, the servant would gather Israel, yes, but he would be a light, a lumen to all nations. And in Isaiah 51 and 52, he would suffer and die as a guilt offering and be sprinkled on many nations. It is uncertain whether Mary really understood the profound nature of those facts. But she knew these things about the unborn Jesus. She also knew things about the child Jesus after he was born. She came to know that Jesus was the Christos, the Christ, the Messiah. And this comes from the shepherd's story. 
as they were abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. The angels appeared, and of course it was a multitude of heavenly hosts, and they heralded the good news from heaven's gate. And there she had heavenly divine confirmation of what she had heard from Gabriel earlier, that what would happen to her, what had happened to her was a miraculous thing, the incarnation. You see, these were the same angels that had known the pre-incarnate Son of God from eternity or after eternity when they were created, He was there. These were those same angels that then proclaimed the coming of the Lord. So Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew that her son had walked where angels trod. Their message was that her son would be what? A Savior who is what? Christ the what? The Lord. Savior had already been explained in Joseph's dream. Lord had already been identified by Elizabeth, but here we have a new fact that she came to know about the child. He would be the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Popularly expected by people such as the woman at the well, he would be the prophet maybe that came to fulfill the promise that Moses would return and would reveal all things. Perhaps popular opinion according to some as they hailed his entry into Jerusalem, he would be the Davidic deliverer, the political savior, that came in the Lord's name. But the real meaning of Christos is found through the words of all people, the high priest. The high priest, when Jesus was brought before him for trial, the high priest asked him this pointed question, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Are you the Christ, the Son of God? For you see, this defines who the Christ is. The accurate and essential identity of the Christos, the Messiah, the Deliverer, is He's God's Son, the Son of the Blessed One. And later we see this repeated again and again in apostolic texts, six times by Peter and Paul, where they describe Him as Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Did Mary really understand these facts? It says then when the shepherds had told her these things and Joseph that she kept these things, she treasured them. She pondered them in her heart. I think what that means is she began to put the pieces together. Here she knows that he is Savior who is going to come and save his people. That he is the Christ, the Messiah, who is going to deliver on God's promise to restore Israel. That he will be the Lord, eternal King, who will turn everything upside down in his rule. And he is the Son of God by miraculous birth conceived by the Holy Spirit. As a child, she also realized that he was Savior of all mankind. We find this in Luke, the second chapter. When Jesus was brought for dedication on the eighth day after his birth into the temple, of course, he then was in the arms of Mary and Joseph, and they met Simeon. And we read that text before we started worship this morning. And, of course, Simeon makes this declaration. He has seen the salvation of God, and this salvation would extend to all nations, And in verses 30 and 31 of Luke 2, he really does an explanation of Isaiah 49. You see, it's a fulfillment, once again, of one of the servant passages. It goes like this. The Lord has called me from the womb. Can you imagine as Mary thinks about that? From the body of my mother, he named me. And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. He says, it is too small a thing, you understand, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel alone. No, I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. 
And after he says these things, the text says in Luke, and Mary and Joseph were amazed at these words. You see, this far exceeded any expectation that they had before. He was not only going to deliver Israel and restore Israel, but his rule extended to all nations. Mary, did you know? Yes, now it's not singular, it's plural. He would one day rule the nations. What else did Mary know about the boy, Jesus? She did not quite fully understand Simeon's prophecy that came next. You see, he blessed them then. And in his blessing, he turns to Mary and he says these words, Behold, this child is appointing for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You see, this blessing from Simeon was barbed. It had some warnings in it. It included the twofold prophecy. First of all, he will be for the fall and the rise of many, a sign to be opposed. This is really an allusion to Isaiah, the eighth chapter, where we hear that he will become a stumbling block. Some will fall and some will rise, and he'll bring people to the conviction of their sin, and he will become himself, not just perform miracles, but he himself will become a miraculous sign. And as people look upon him, they will see him as salvation, but some will not. He will also be for opposition. They will be divided over Jesus, and some will oppose him. There was a second part in this prophecy that Simeon spoke. He would be a sword that would pierce. And it refers to Isaiah's servant prophecy in Isaiah 53. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. In other words, Simeon was saying, your son is going to be pierced. And not only he, Mary, you are going to be pierced to your soul. Do you think? Do you think for a moment? that Mary quite understood yet what Simeon was saying. She knew that Jesus was worthy of worship as God. Matthew, the first chapter, the Magi come to visit, and they arrive, and they fall to the ground when they see Him, and they adore Him, they worship Him. The significance of that is it confirms what Simeon had said and what Isaiah had prophesied, that His rule would be sovereign over all nations. She knew that God would protect and provide for his one and only son. For you know what happened after the Magi left. God warned Joseph to take his family and to flee to Egypt. And God protected them from Herod's wrath by that warning. And he provided for the journey to Egypt, most scholars think, the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, valuable gifts, may have helped to fund the trip. He provided. And he continued to provide and guide even when they came back. Because after Herod died... Joseph was concerned about settling in Judea because Archelaus was ruling there. And the Lord warned him, said, don't stay there, go to Nazareth. This is what he knew, what Mary, I think, knew about the boy. What did Mary know about the man Jesus? I think there were some things that she did not quite understand, as respectful as we are of Mary. First, she did not understand Jesus' relationship with his father. In Luke, the second chapter, they You know the event in the temple. He's 12 years old. They have been at the Passover. They stay the full Passover. They leave. And then three days later, they discover that he is missing, and they come back, and they're astonished when they find him in the temple. And they're rather indignant. They say to him, how could you have treated us this way? And Jesus' response is a respectful rebuke. Very mild, but respectful. Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? And here is a key phrase then. It said, they did not understand 
his statement. Even Mary did not. She did not understand his appointment with destiny. The first miracle we find in the Gospel of John was a miracle at Cana, and and Mary expected him then to provide wine for the guests. Whether or not she thought he would do it by miracle, we don't know, probably so. And she did not quite understand his reluctance and his, once again, mild rebuke, even to his own mother. Woman, (laughs) woman, what does this have to do with us? You see, my hour has not yet come. And he uses that phrase several times. You see, he has an appointment with destiny that nobody quite understands. His brothers in John the seventh chapter urge him to do his miracles in a more public place, like down in Judea. He needs to have more notoriety and popularity. And he says to them, but you see, my time has not yet come. It happens two more times in John 7 and John 8 when they, they try to capture him. His enemies try to capture him and he slips away. And he says, you see, my time has not yet come. He finally explains what he means by this appointment with destiny. And it wasn't to Jews that he says it. He says it to Greeks. He says it to Gentiles when they come to ask him questions. And he tells them that his hour now has come. And it is his time to die and to be resurrected. For he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And I do not think that Mary quite understood that. She did not understand his tireless giving of himself to others. In Mark, the third chapter, he has returned to his home in Capernaum. He has left Nazareth, and he's living in Capernaum near the Sea of Galilee. And he is so busy in ministry and helping people. He's so busy that he does not even have time to eat. And the scribes that come up from Jerusalem are accusing him of being possessed by Beelzebub and his family. What do they do? Do they come to support and encourage him? No. They come and they say, he is out of his mind. And Mary and the brothers come to take charge of him. And he says, if you want to know my family, who my family is, look around me. They're the ones that obey the will of the Father. I'm not sure that Mary quite understood everything about his ministry. She did not understand that he would be rejected by his own people. When he proclaimed in Nazareth, there are a couple of accounts of this in Mark the 6th chapter and Luke the 4th chapter. Some think it's two different events. Some think it's the same event. When he proclaims that he then is anointed, as the one who has come to deliver, according to Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 61, that he is going to free the captives and he is going to heal the blind. He's rejected. He's rejected by the neighbors in his own village. Isn't this the carpenter, the local carpenter? Isn't this the son of Mary? Isn't this the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and and Simon? And then he charges them. He says, you know what? You're treating me just like Elijah and Elisha. And when they went to the Gentiles, they were received by the Gentiles, and you will not receive me. And this enraged the Nazarites, or the Nazarenes. And they pursued him and tried to kill him. Did Mary really understand what was happening in her own town? There is an inexplicable absence of Mary pretty much after this point in the Gospels until the crucifixion. Other women supported his ministry in Galilee. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph. Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, Susanna, and many other women followed and helped support him, but not his mother Mary. She is conspicuously absent. Now, some might say, well, she had a lot of domestic duties, for we know that he had at least four brothers and two sisters. He may have had more. She had had seven children. Who knows? Maybe the domestic responsibilities kept her tied down, but she is conspicuously absent after the moment that she tries to take charge of him and he refuses. She did not understand 
that his death would save her. And John 19, Mary witnessed Jesus' crucifixion. She stood there with her sister, with Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, and with John. And Jesus, near the end of his suffering on the cross, then turned her over into the care of John, the brother of James. And he brought her into his household. And she witnessed what happened next in John's gospel. I don't think that she went then to John's home. He just brought her into his household. They stood there and they witnessed the centurion pierce his side. She saw him die. Simeon's prophecy had come true. The sword had pierced Christ. He had shed his own blood to fix the the wayward ways of his people. And it had also pierced as she watched even Mary's soul as she watched him die. You see, he had become a guilt sacrifice, not just for the rest of the world, but our belief according to Scripture, since we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, including Mary, that he was being sacrificed at that moment, even for her own trespasses. Mary, did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Roman Catholics have a different view of this. They believe that she had to be delivered, but she was delivered ahead of God by His preventive redemption. And based on the death of Christ and His grace, she was protected, but that she did not sin. It was not for her sin that that He died. Finally, Mary understood the most important thing. The most important thing. Acts 1 and 2. She became a believer. She was among the 120 disciples in Jerusalem, then waiting for what God had in store for them. She had accepted her son Jesus as her personal Lord and her Savior. She was filled with the rest at Pentecost with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had kept his promise that he had made to all of his disciples, even to her. And here's one of the great reversals. He had promised that he would not leave them as what? Orphans. Can you imagine Mary having heard this word? Her own son did not leave her orphaned. She finally understood what it meant for her boy to be Lord of all creation, that he would rule all nations, that he indeed is heaven's perfect lamb. Yes, as Ben sang at the end of the song, the great I am. And because of his sacrifice, the dead will live again. So how would we apply this? I'd apply it with this phrase. It's the blessing of believing. The blessing of believing. Mary was special. She was chosen by God. She had favor in God's eyes. This was according to His eternal plan. Yes, yes. But Mary did not have the exemption of not believing. You see, Christ died for everyone's sins. This morning, He died for your sins and my sins. If you're watching online this morning, you, like I, am a sinner. And he died for you. It wasn't what Mary knew that mattered. Mary, did you know? It wasn't what Mary knew, and you know what I'm going to say next. It was what? It was whom she knew that counted. You see, even Mary was in need of salvation. And she came to accept him as her Lord and Savior. And like Peter, when she believed, she was blessed of God because she believed in him. My question for you this morning is, have you believed? Do you have the blessing of eternal life because you have believed in Jesus Christ, in the person, 
not just the facts that you've read in Scripture, but you have accepted His gift of eternal salvation by His shed blood that pays for your sin and mine, and He has, put place to, he has prepared a place for you in heaven. Jesus said to His disciples, you know, you've seen me. He said this to Thomas. You know, you didn't believe before, but now you've seen. You've seen me. You've witnessed me. You've seen the resurrected body. And he said this to the rest of his disciples. But remember what Jesus said to Thomas then. Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. How blessed you will be today. The blessing of redemption will be yours if you will only believe. Or if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. The babe that we adored grew to be a man and sacrificed himself on the cross so that Christmas is not the end of the story, just the beginning. Would you pray with me? Father, may today not just be another Christmas day, another day when we hear the text and we let them kind of flow over us without thinking about them carefully. Reminded of what Elias said at the beginning of our worship service, that you did impossible things through Mary by bringing your son into this world. That you performed a miracle through his birth. And you have performed a miracle through his rebirth by resurrecting him and defeating sin and death so that we might have the offer and the promise of eternal life. And our prayer this morning is, if there is someone who has not yet believed, that the words of Christmas, the words of Advent, the words of joy, peace, hope, love, and light will not just be words, but they will be personified in their life in the person of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. What is God's pleasure with you this morning? As we extend the invitation, it may be to make some decision that God is calling you to make in his, your walk with, with the Lord. It may be a decision perhaps to join with this fellowship here and to serve on this place, on this hill, for the kingdom of God. It, it may be that you have some rededication that you want to make. It may be that God might be even calling you into what we call ministry, into vocational ministry. And it is a responsibility of the church. It is my responsibility to help the church call you out. Is the Lord placed that wonderful privilege on your heart? Or it might be that you have heard the name Jesus, you've heard the name Christ, who is Savior and Lord, and you had never responded to the invitation for salvation. Now is the time. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. What is God's pleasure in your life as we sing our invitation?